This is Ryan McDonough of the Phoenix Suns. You are listening to the BS of the Suns podcast, where they are always fueling the fire. Welcome, welcome. Episode 68 of the BS of the Sun podcast here on Bright Side of the Sun. Um, shout out to Ryan McDonough for jumping on and, and doing that intro for us. Uh, we'll have a variety of those throughout the season that we uh, we got a couple of the Suns players and front office folks alike to put together. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so... This is episode 68, kind of a special one. We have a special guest that we're going to be talking to, as we kind of mentioned throughout the day on Twitter. Uh, President of Basketball Operations, Lon Babby, is going to jump on in a second here. But this is Chris Havis, as always. Dave King, riding co-pilot with me here. How you doing, Dave? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to talking to Lon about uh, salary cap things and, and uh, rosters. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested on those those topics as well and kind of where he's at, you know, as a president, not an agent anymore and where he's coming from with that. So let's get him on the line here. You know, the Suns are playing the San Antonio Spurs here, um, you know, later on today. So enjoy that game. But before that, a little bit of a little bit of a podcast here with Phoenix Suns president of basketball operations, Lon Babby. Um, Lon, first and foremost, thanks for jumping on and joining uh, the show here. How are you doing? Uh, it's my pleasure. Happy to do it. Uh, yes, thanks for coming on, Lana. Yeah, I don't know why. I just don't understand why you guys would want to spend the time talking to me since your your site just rated me the uh, 63rd most important person in the franchise. <laughs> I had you rank much higher as a collector. Sure you did, yes. yes. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so how do we want to get this started, Chris? Do you have a couple questions first? Yeah, well, Lon, I kind of wanted to, from your perspective of a guy that, and you can correct my timeline uh, if I'm wrong on here, because I'm sure I will be, but you you were one of the the power agents, one of the guys that was looked at as as one of the big agents for about 20 years in the NBA before shifting focus over to the front office and taking over and being here with the Phoenix Suns. I'm just kind of curious from from your standpoint now, a few years into it, how has that transition been like for you now that your feet are you know fully on the ground? Four years, a lot of off seasons of negotiations yeah. and working with agents. Um, well. You know, it wasn't that foreign to me because I, for me, what what appealed to me about coming here was kind of the poetic arc of my career because I had in sports I started on the management side. I was the general counsel of the Orioles and worked for the Redskins, and uh, then spent actually about 15 years representing players and learned a lot from both of those experiences, and then wanted to bring all of that back here and uh, in a new job in a new capacity. Uh, on the management side, so it was, uh, but I will say that even, I, I would say it took me um, time to make the transition, uh, I learned the job, and, uh, you know, I feel like we've hit our stride um, over the last uh, 18 months or so, and um, feel comfortable in the job, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a challenging it's a challenging responsibility because you're not just um, serving clients. You're you're managing a group of people. You're interacting with the community. You're interacting with the media. You're interacting uh, on the business side and, and making sure that you're fulfilling all those responsibilities. And I think we finally have the organization where I would say everybody's in alignment from Robert to, to me to Ryan to Jeff to the players, to the trainers, and, um, and then completely on the business side as well. So 
it's been a transition, but I feel like we're in a good spot now. What's so what's you were, uh, Long, you were in the front office back in the late eighties, early nineties, and uh, now, like you said, it's a uh, going uh, the arc of your career now coming back to it. Um, the transition into not just keeping all of your clients happy, uh, but keeping your clients happy as far as the players and your front office and your ticket holders and your constituents, you know, the ownership group. Um, that that's got to be a tough balance. Well, it's a, it's a, Dave, it's a much broader responsibility. Uh, and this is, people ask me, you know, what, what is the fundamental difference between those two jobs? And you know, when you're an agent, your job is to serve your client, and you're rooting for your client. You, you know, on some level, you care about the team performance, but only as it relates to, you know, the progress of your client. And there were many nights when I would be... Uh, at games, and I'd have clients on both teams, and you're kind of rooting for the individuals, not for the not for the team. Now, uh, I think if you're doing your job well as an agent, you should uh, you should look back on your time as an agent and be able to say, which I'm proud to say, that I represented players on championship teams. Obviously, the guys on the Spurs, uh, but also Luke Walton on the Lakers and Ray Allen on the Celtics, and so. Part of your responsibility is to help put guys in a position where they can succeed and win as a team, but your fundamental responsibility is to that individual client. In this job, you have many, many constituencies, and, and uh, the, the beauty of it is that you you, you can root. <laughs> you know, you're rooting for team success, and you're trying to build something, and it's both challenging and gratifying. It's a much broader uh, sense of responsibility than you have when you're just representing individual players. Some of the newer waves of agents, uh, we talk about traditional versus non-traditional. I think it's 2014, and there's kind of a, a mix of that, and that's a gray area now. But what is it like working with some of these agents that a lot of agents, for background purposes, a lot of them do go through similar backgrounds like you did with law school and being a lawyer and learning contracts and being able to do that side of things. What is it like now working with some of these younger agents that may or may not have that traditional background, may have broken into the game, for lack of a better term, uh, from just different avenues and different venues? Yeah, in some respects, uh, Chris, I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. There have always been uh, those kinds of um, differences among agents. And um, I will say that um, in my time here and, and... you know, being on this side of the table. Um, I have found um, working with the agents uh, uh, to be um, easy uh, for the most part, and and uh, I think I have a greater appreciation of the quality of the people in the business than I do when I was competing with them. <laughs> um, I, think, I think they, for the most part, they are excellent at what they do. They, they, uh, uh, looking honestly to serve the best interests of their clients, and uh, you know we we may uh, argue over things, but it's always from a place of respect, and I think they they generally respect my background, and you know I I kind of know what's real and what's not, and uh, you know what's a legitimate point and what's not a legitimate point because I've made all those points myself. Okay, well let's shift on to um, something that's that's being tried out in this next week. I don't remember exactly which game it's going to be, but uh, the NBA is going to test out a 44-minute game. Right. Can you uh, explain uh, where that um, idea came from and who it who it benefits the most? Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to all of that, 
by Dave. I do know that I think it came up for the first time, or at least was discussed. Jeff was telling us at the coaches' meetings, uh, which they have in Chicago earlier this summer. Um, excuse me. I, I don't. I think the motivation is that to to make sure that the games are moving uh, with more rapidity and that they're you know they're. They're, they're not quite as long. Uh, I think it's just an experiment. I think part of the interesting, you know, part of what we, you know, we need to be focusing on, I think, in this business now is the health of the players and whether the season is too long or the, you know, the games are too long. Uh, you know, we've got to try to find ways to, to keep players healthier. And so to that extent, I support it. Um, I'm not sure that the that it's the right solution for shortening the games and and and, the, and taking the stress off the star players because I think if you have fewer minutes, actually the star players may play a greater percentage of those minutes because there's more at stake. So it's all kind of theoretical, uh, but it is you know it's it, what I like about it is just the willingness of the league to experiment and try to get ahead of issues. Uh, for us, uh, you know, not the same point, but a related point is just making sure that our players are getting enough rest over the summer. We we were pretty vigilant, making sure that <clears throat> both young and old, the guys, the guys took some time off, and that we that we were not um, working them too hard, or that they were not working themselves too hard. Um, they have to get better over the summer, and we put such an emphasis on player development. But they also have to rest because the long term health is there. Uh, the players is the most important thing, as we've already seen before the season starts with some pretty significant injuries. Yeah, I was talking to Draymond Green about that a couple of weeks back about when the offseason starts, you got to kind of take some of that as offseason, and then you also got to find smarter ways of working out that's not compounding so much on your knees, whether it's getting on a bike or just doing different things during the summer to stay in shape, but also to, to rest, to get healthy. You alluded to potentially lesser games. So this is just, like you said, this is one just way of practicing it out, seeing what they can do. Just, just their, The league is being proactive and trying to resolve some issues there. Would a 66-game, 70-game, whatever it ends up looking like, would a season like that maybe potentially be a better viable solution to this? Could that be something you could see happening in the short term? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know about the short term. I could see it as a possibility. I mean, you know, let's be candid about it. A lot of it's, if not all of it's about the, uh, you know, the re- the revenues that are generated from the games and whether or not, um, you know, there would have to be a diminution of the revenue in order to shorten the season. And um, that's the balance. You know, we, we now have 41 home games. If we had 30, we would, we would have less opportunities to, to generate revenue, and that's you know what drives everything in the business in terms of all the all the uh, player salaries and everything else. So it's it's theoretically a good idea, but whether it whether it in practicality is a good idea or not, you know, it's more of the people than me have to figure out the math. Um, but you know, the the point you're making and the point I'm trying to make is we we need to keep our eye completely on the health and well-being of our players. Um, you know, the playoffs are long. Um, and, you know, I used to say when when I was representing Tim and some other guys on the Spurs, you know, they, they're playing three months longer than everybody else every season. And their summer is uh, necessarily, you know, three months shorter. And over the course of a career, that, that might add, 
you know, another two seasons of playing time, uh, you know, uh, during the playoffs. So, you know, the season is long, and the more successful you are, the longer you play. Those are all things that I think everybody is concerned about and will look at it. You know, I have confidence that the league and the union will always keep their eye on that issue because the health of our players is, is in many ways, the most important thing. Okay. Well, and you, rec- you, rec- uh, you mentioned revenues, and I'd like to talk about the uh, new TV contract for a moment. We have seen, I've seen some projections online uh, from different sources saying that the salary cap could rise as high as $90 million in the coming years. Uh, have you heard anything along that line? You know, I'm not really free to talk about it. I think a lot of that is proprietary and confidential and to be determined, and, and uh, I'm going I'm to beg off that subject. Uh, I mean, well, okay, so let's all, all, all I can say from our, from our standpoint is, you know, is we try to keep abreast of uh, likely trends in the marketplace for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, Undoubtedly, this is going to be something that's going to recalibrate the system on some level. How and exactly when and and in what fashion, uh, we don't know. And and I think I've got to, you know, be careful not to discuss it in any great detail because I'm overstepping my bounds by doing Sure. Okay. Well, let's take a different tack. Um, it, because I may get the same you, answer, Dave, but go right in. I may get the same answer, but I'll try it again. <laughs> um, we... Uh, uh, be- because we know that there is a new TV contract that's, that's been agreed to, uh, the players have have talked openly about you know, thinking that there was going to be more money in the future toward player contracts available. And so a lot of players were pushing for shorter contracts, or at least that was the rumor this summer, two- and three-year deals with opt-outs. And then some of the bigger names actually did that, including LeBron James. While uh, from the Suns' point of view... The top guys that you signed all signed four- or five-year deals, and two of those four-year deals were actually effectively five-year deals because they're extensions. Um, how how did that play a part in the in the Suns thinking, and did you get a lot of pushback from agents because of the, the hope for the, the big jump in a couple of years? Well, I, you know, all I can say about it is that, you know, it was a factor uh, in in these negotiations and that everybody, you know, saw that this was a development that was coming down the horizon and, and that you needed to just factor into your thinking. Uh, you know, for us, um, the way to resolve the Eric Bledsoe negotiation was to take advantage of that fifth year, which only we could offer. And, um, you know, and that really what is what drove that. And, and, you know, for a player, having been through it, it's always a balance between, you know, when do you want to enter back into the marketplace and how much of your future do you want to secure? And so, it, you know, the challenge is finding that balance. So I think in Eric's case, that fifth year helped us, you know, find common ground. Uh, with the Mars Twins, we, we were prepared to give them as long as you were allowed to give them, and that's what they wanted. Uh, you know, part of that was their desire to secure their future, I'm sure, but also was, you know, the, a, a big theme of, of my negotiation with them or our negotiation with them was really we were the only place that was likely to provide them the opportunity to play together, and they wanted that so badly, and we wanted it badly, too, because we know that they're better together, uh, that, you know, we wanted to, we wanted it to, 
put that out there for as long as possible. There's no guarantee that they, you know, that they'll stay here or that they'll stay together. But as I pointed out to them, the most likely place for that to happen is Phoenix. And so, you know, and they love it here. And I think it's been gratifying to watch them mature into, you know, the players they are. And, and almost as importantly, if not more importantly, kind of developing as leaders of our team and, and their habits over the summer. Talk about guys working hard. Nobody worked harder than those two guys. So uh, that's the answer to the question. And the significance of what might what what events might occur in the future played a role but not a significant role in either of those negotiations okay um lebron recently lebron james recently said that the new cba should abolish max contracts and when they when the new cba is established there should be no max contracts but wouldn't that just freeze out the middle price you know the middle tier of players that would What's your take on having that? Because there'd still be a salary cap. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave to the negotiators the, the the joy of negotiating these big picture issues, and I think it would be inappropriate for me to to sort of give my personal views on it. I was there at the creation when when maximum salaries came into play. I think it was in 1999, and they the the debates about it and the controversy about it. Uh, and you are correct that the you know the motivation given to the union at the time was to help to preserve and and expand the middle class. So those are all factors. And but as I said, I mean it's way premature to be talking about those philosophical issues. And I'm not the right. I don't think it's appropriate for me to be you know opining about that uh, in a public setting. Okay, I'll try one more. Okay. <laughs> um, According to the CDA, the rookie deals, uh, the rookie contracts are pretty much, they're set in stone, the actual the prices that, that the rookies will be able to make. So when the cap goes up, that makes a rookie deal even more valuable to a team. Does that then make the 2016 and 2017 and 2018 uh, first-round picks even more valuable in trade discussions than they, than they have been? Well, it's a good it's a good point. Um, you know, we'll see how that all plays out in terms of uh, of the rookie the rookie scale and all of that. <clears throat> what it does, what it is, you know, what it what is the the great value is the control you have over the players. You know, on you know on relatively uh, uh, reasonable salaries, assuming the player lives up to their draft their draft uh, position. Uh, and it's you know it's a it's a it's what every team wants in the sense that you have control uh, for as long as four years and then they can become a restricted free and then they become restricted free agents. So that's where that's where the great value is. The great value is in having the cost certainty and the control. And um, you know if trends develop as as you are hypothesizing, you know, and there's no adjustment in the rookie scale then. You know that that'll have the that'll have the common impact that you're talking about. But for us, you know, it's it's about acquiring assets in different forms, and we've always put a tremendous value on not only draft picks but also the contracts that come with draft picks. It's part of it's really a big part of how you have to manage your cap. So with that, let's okay. let's let's take it back to you, since like you said, a lot of this is hypothesizing and you know looking right. into the future and whatnot. 
back to your guys' team, I think that in past years there was a lot, or, or there, I should rather say that there was not a lot of diversity in the contract numbers and lengths and, and dollar amounts on the Phoenix Suns. Right now, how do you feel about the contract situation, the cap situation, and where you guys have everybody kind of spread out in terms of the numbers there with your guys' current cap situation? Uh, I feel very good about it, and it, you know, it's... You're right, Chris. It's not something you can accomplish overnight. I mean, I think one of my tasks when I got here was to put us on a sound footing in a lot of different ways. A lot, a lot of uh, infrastructure and a lot of cap management, a lot of that stuff, you know, is painful and it takes time. Uh, and it's it's a lot of decisions that you make not to do certain things that allow you to have flexibility. I mean, going back to my earliest time here, you know, one of the first issues we had was, you know, what what do we do about the possibility of extending a player like Jason Richardson, who had been extremely, extremely successful. So a lot of times, you're making hard decisions at the time, and the impact of those decisions may not be felt or seen or obvious for years to come. But I feel, I feel like we are in a terrific position in terms of our contracts. Contracts, to me, can be categorized in three ways. They can be Assets, they can be liabilities, or they can be neutral. Um, I don't think we have a contract net right now that's a liability, and and when you're in that position, I think that's kind of a unique position, and I, I I'm proud uh, that we've gotten ourselves into that position. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean it won't change on a dime, but as we sit here, you know, today, October fifteenth, I don't. I don't think we have one contract that I would view as a liability, and I don't know how many teams can say that. You said a, a few years back, well, it was probably like a preseason, just media conglomerate type thing where, where you're sitting on a podium and we're asking you a bunch of questions. You had mentioned the years and the phases and the process of, you know, rekindling things for the Suns and bringing things back on track for the franchise. H- how far along do you feel you guys are in that process as of today? And we'll make this the last question. Sorry for uh, keeping you along. Uh, that's okay. I, I don't mind. I'm enjoying it. Um, I think as I as I look back on it, and the you know the time I the time I took in last April, um, you know at our end of the season kind of press conference to kind of review what I had said the previous April, uh, when when we were coming off a really tough season, and uh, uh, you know that that was clearly the the one season since I've been here that I think was a profound disappointment. Um, that what we wanted to do was make progress and that is, you know, measurable progress and that, that would be defined most obviously by wins and losses and that last year we jumped up 23 wins and, and had the 12th best record in the league and nobody had made a greatest, greatest rise in us. That we wanted to continue, you know, our rebuilding with young players and develop those players and, you know, Gordon Dragic was most improved and, and uh, you know, uh, almost all of our players had careers years and got national recognition. If they didn't win the awards, they were at the running for the awards, whether it was Marquise, which you know, uh, you know, that we wanted to continue to acquire assets, which we which we've done. I mean, we had two draft choices uh, two years ago, three this past year. We've two or three coming next year um, and uh, you know continue to try to manage the cap which I think we've done both in terms of uh, flexibility and kind of positioning ourselves for the future um, 
And then, you know, another big part of it for me was making sure that we reconnected with our past. And I think Jeff really helped us with that. Um, I think we had lost our way a little bit on that, as I've said a number of times. And, and just put a team out there that everybody was proud of. Not just, not just the, the fans and the community, but our, you know, our internal group. Uh, you know, our people who work here, I want them to be proud of us every single day. So... We've made progress in all those areas, but now as we start a new season, um, we are challenged by increased expectations uh, that are going to be hard to meet. I mean, we're in a very challenging conference. Uh, I think we'll be better than we were last year, but that doesn't necessarily mean we'll win more games or that that'll be good enough to make the playoffs. So that's the goal. You know, the challenge is to, is to meet those expectations and creep keep growing. The one thing I'm confident about is that we've got the organization now well positioned in terms of um, the infrastructure, whether it's the, the, you know, the training staff, the analytics, and most importantly, obviously, the, the front office and the coaching. And I think in Ryan and Jeff, we've got two of the, the very best in, in all, of the, all of the league. So I think everything's in place to move forward. And um, Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, we'll we'll meet those expectations and and make another jump this year. But um, time will tell. But I, I am confident. And if we look at it over the you know the long term, not just necessarily this season, but the seasons to come, we are on track. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna get to a, a an elite level sooner rather than later. And we're gonna be in a position to compete for championships and finally get one that. That is something that Phoenix has never had, and that's uh, that's what motivates us every single day. Well, Lon, definitely, um, uh, definitely appreciate you coming on. Twenty third most important person in the Phoenix Suns franchise, according to Brightside yeah, of the Sun staffers. So, a <laughs> little bit better than what you were that, saying. That's there. good. It's good to be the president of the team and be twenty third on the list. I can't remember now. Was I before or behind the gorilla? Yeah, you, you know what? Just blame Seth Pollock for that. He had the gorilla ranked number one, which skewed the the standings there. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, I always I always knew it came back to Seth. <laughs> All right, all right. Have good a good luck. afternoon, Lon. Thank you. See you. Bye bye. All right, so that was Lon Babby, and um, as much as he had to to dance around some subjects because it is what it is, I, I think that we got some good stuff there, Dave. I, I like. The progression that he mentioned of the team, it also, there's progression in him. If you remember all the way back to day one of him coming on board to today, I think that he's much more comfortable in his skin as, as the front office guy and as the, the you know guy talking to the media and doing what he's doing there. I, I think there was a little well, more think, candid babby. Yeah. Well, I, do, I, and I think he, well, he feels a little bit less under fire now. And the other thing is that um, he's not expected to be a talent guy. I think he was thrust into a role that, Somebody had to talk about the talent on the team uh, to the press and, you know, the media and all that. And Blanks was not the guy, and Babby was forced to be. Now Babby can just talk about things like we talked about with him, which is the league as a whole and contracts and being, you know, coming from being an agent and stuff like that. That's a lot more of Lon's wheelhouse than talking about um, the, the merits of one player over another. 
All right, so that's that's kind of where we're at with with Lon. You know, seems like he's more comfortable in his skin there, or maybe just more comfortable with us. I don't know. Maybe maybe he just didn't like us at the beginning of uh, of his tenure here with the Phoenix Suns. But I think that that was good as is, Dave. I think we're gonna go ahead and cut this podcast off right now, and uh, maybe just have folks come back for for even more BS. Maybe we'll do that and come back and maybe share our thoughts and, and be able to actually answer questions with our opinions on the uh, on the time changes for games and the amount of games on a schedule and the salary cap and all that. How's that sound, Dave? Oh, it sounds like a plan, Chris. All right, well, sounds like, yeah, flip over to the B-side for even more BS.